0: Hello, you are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. Six Miles High by Malibu Sunset on AO3. Rating, Teen and Up. Chapter Two. He carried a teetering stack of dishes and found Dana standing over the sink in her mother's kitchen, water running. She paused from scraping plates when she heard him come in, the double door swinging shut with the whine. Her head tipped back, and she regarded him with misty eyes. Are you all right? He asks, resting a hand on her. Her shoulders sank slightly beneath his touch. Her barely-contained emotions surrounding her like a force field. I'm 29 years old, and he still has the ability to make me feel like I'm 14 all over again. Her voice broke on the last few words. Oh, honey, he said, turning the faucet off and gathering her to him. Your father is a very smart man, and he doesn't know everything. Why can't he accept that this is my direction I've chosen for my life, and just be happy for me? It's not as if I've turned my back on medicine. Joining the Bureau was your decision to make, not his. He tightened his hold on her, and her head came to rest on his shoulder. He'll come around. She sniffled exhaustedly. Easy for you to say. Your parents approve of your career. Well, in all fairness, my father's a drunk and he thinks I'm still in law school. But I do see your point. He smiled down at her and she huffed out a tiny laugh. This was an ongoing struggle for her. The pursuit of her father's approval. He didn't fully understand it. Although he tried. His parents had long been disconnected from his life by circumstances. His father's alcoholism. His mother's need to enable him and Ethan's disgust with the entire situation. He saw them maybe twice a year, usually after a guilt-infused phone call from his older sister. The Scullies were the Waltons in comparison. He loves you, he assured her, coaxing her chin up with his thumb, and he'll get over it. I can't believe you can say that, she replied with a supplicant smile. You know my father, since when does he get over anything? He got over us living together. She bit her lip and winced slightly. You haven't told them we're living together. I'm waiting for the right time, she hedged, looking away. He sighed wearily. Dana, it's been three months. Were you thinking that they may not notice my name next to yours on the mailbox and all my things in your apartment? You're going to have to tell them sooner or later. I know that, she touched the front of his shirt, absently tracing a small white button with her fingernail. I'm Catholic, Ethan. It's complicated. Okay, and I've suggested something a bit more permanent on a few occasions. You know I have. Her eyes glanced off his briefly, and she wilted a little. They've been chasing this topic for a while now. If he thought for a minute she'd say yes, he would have asked her six months ago. It doesn't mean I don't want that, Ethan. It just means I'm not ready yet. You said you understood. He swept her hair aside so he can meet her eyes directly. I said I accepted it. I didn't say I understood. But I do think it's only fair that you tell your parents we're living together. He saw her eyes widen and felt the muscles in her arms tighten. As she looked past him, and he didn't have to turn around in fur, they were no longer alone. Mom, she said, pulling back from him. Margaret Scully, who had paused in the kitchen doorway, holding more dirty dishes, found her footing once again and continued past them to the sink. There was a silence among the three of them as the water ran and stainless steel flatware scraped against ceramic. I didn't mean for you to hear it this way, Dana said finally. I was going to tell you both. Her mother's eyes were soft but steady, the set of her mouth inscrutable. You're a grown woman, Dana. I won't tell you how to live your life. And I'm not naive. I know things are different than when I was your age. I'm sorry, Mom. I didn't mean to keep it from you. I just didn't think you'd approve. Maggie stacked the plates into the bottom rack of the dishwasher. I didn't say I approved. Are you going to tell Daddy? Her mother closed the dishwasher door and turned. No, it's your news. You should be the one to share it. Maggie's eyes moved from Dana's to Ethan's and back again and he saw a wisdom and empathy there that perhaps Dana didn't always give her mother credit for. He only wants what's best for you. I know sometimes he has a strange way of showing it, but it's the truth. Ethan stood there stoically, one arm draped loosely around Dana's waist, feeling mildly scrutinized. He was no longer just the boyfriend. Not just the guy Dana brought to her cousin's wedding. He was now the guy answering the phone in the morning while Dana was in the shower the one sharing towels and closet space and a queen-size bed. He was the other name on the Christmas cards. He reached down and squeezed her hand, and she squeezed back. The gesture did not go unnoticed. Well, I think it's time for dessert, Margaret Scully announced, opening the refrigerator and removing an apple pie. She set it on the countertop and handed her daughter a knife. Your father prefers whipped cream with his. I'll get the coffee. You're wearing it, aren't you? He says, eyes shifting down to her waist. She lifts the corner of her blazer and he can see the crisscross pattern on the hard rubber handle. They're both drinking Diet Cokes now and munching chipmunk-sized bags of airline peanuts. And they don't give you a hassle getting through security? She appears amused by him. Well, the badge helps. He shakes his head and smiles. You carry it everywhere, like to the grocery store and the movies and the gym? This is my FBI-issued weapon. I have a personal one that's smaller, but yes, I'm usually armed. You never used to be when you were off duty. At least not that I recall. I wasn't, she asked thoughtfully. Huh. I guess I don't remember. They play the game of question and answer about the safe, small stuff. It goes on for at least an hour, and is surprisingly interesting. His family, her family, his job promotion, places they've traveled, books they've read, Which of their favorite old restaurants have closed? If it seems like this past winter was colder than the last. People they knew who are getting married now. Others who are divorced. Foreign policy. Global warming. Gun control. Dan and Heather are still married, believe it or not, he says. I'll admit that I wasn't sure it would last. She leans her head back against the headrest. God, I haven't heard those names in a long time. They've got three kids now. I don't think she invited me to their wedding, come to think of it, she admits. He grimaces a little. I was Dan's best man. They got married the summer after we broke up. I think she figured it might be awkward. She manages an aha, tight-lipped smile. You didn't miss much. The air conditioning in the catering van broke, and everyone got food poisoning from spoiled chicken cordon bleu. They both laugh. He figures it's as good an opening as any. So, what about you? He raises a curious brow at her. She rubs her hands together, suppressing a shiver and reaches up to adjust the air vent. Her fitted white blouse is doing a pitiful job of disguising the fact that she's cold, and he's fairly certain she caught his wandering eyes. What about me? Ever take a trip down the aisle, he presses boldly. She shakes her head, not meeting his eyes. No, no I haven't. You? Nope, he sighs. He sighs. I think I got about 75% of the way there a couple of years ago. Her brows arch at him. What happened? Before he can answer, she holds up an apologetic hand. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to pry. It's not my place to ask. You didn't. I brought it up. He blows air out of his puffed cheeks, and she sits up a little. Kids, basically, he says with a shrug. I wanted them. She didn't. I had hoped she'd change her mind eventually, but... He lets his thought trail off, unfinished, a perfect metaphor for a lot of things in his life. Ah, she says with sympathy in her eyes, I'm sorry. Eh, I guess it's a good thing we figured it out before we got married. He stays his hands for a moment, allowing the conversation to hang, waiting to see if she'll choose another direction, but she seems comfortable with this one. So are you, uh, seeing anyone? He ventures thumbing his nose at the elephant sitting in the seat between them. She takes a deep breath and tips her head back, eyes narrowing slightly, as if the answer is just out of reach. Seen anyone? She repeats musingly. Significant other, boyfriend, other half, he prompts, hopefully, if that's what they're calling it these days. After several contemplative moments, she swivels her head to look directly at him. I don't know, she answers matter-of-factly, with emphasis on each word. He chuckles. You don't know? It certainly isn't the answer he was expecting. She smiles easily at him, those china blues revealing little... It's usually a yes or no question, he says with a perplexed look. But I suppose there could be variances. Let's just say it's complicated. Isn't it always, he chuckles in agreement. But what you're saying is that there is someone... Her expression is soft, vulnerable, and when she answers, her voice is low. Yes, there is someone. He nods in reluctant acceptance, feeling suddenly defeated. It's like someone just ripped a band-aid off him quickly, and it's taking a minute to register the sting. So, if I asked you to dinner sometime... Her smile is kind, and she actually has the grace to look regretful. Me, then. A faint blush appears. I'm sorry. I can't. No, I know. It's okay. He interjects, thinking he can do without hearing the full rejection speech and all its familiar glory. It's just that this is so easy between us. Comfortable, you know. I'm having a hard time remembering exactly where it all went wrong. He glances away. So you see my dilemma. He can feel the heat of her eyes on him. Time passes. Ethan, I'm not the same person I used to be. A lot has changed. I know, he admits quietly. I'm not the same person either. But maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it could be different this time. When he sees the look on her face, he instantly feels pathetic and wishes he hadn't said it. Ethan, I can't. And let me assure you, it has nothing to do with you. The silence sits between them for a moment. But it doesn't feel entirely painful. It's almost expected. Like the last few pages of a good book that you knew were coming. Are you in love with him, he blurts. Her eyes snap towards him, wide and sharp. An incredulous but amused laugh escapes her. You never did mince words, did you? Sorry, he raises a hand. I'm sorry. I withdraw the question, your honor. But he's pretty damn sure he already knows the answer. The water was on in the bathroom and the door closed, so he couldn't tell if she was crying. He carefully turned the bed down, stacked the thorough pillows on the rocking chair in the corner, then made a last pass through the apartment in his dress shirt and boxers, checking locks and turning off lights. The kitchen was clean, leftovers all packed in foil and crowding the refrigerator shelves. The dishwasher hummed and sloshed dutifully. He took a cursory glance at the calendar on the refrigerator. She had pinned hair, five, for tomorrow and Atlanta on the next day, with an arrow extending to the weekend. He sighed. He didn't remember her saying anything about going to Georgia. But then again, the number of words they'd spoken to one another in the past few days would probably fit onto a post-it note. Her still-packed bag with the airline tag from Chicago attached, sat in the corner of the living room where she'd left it. He fought against the temptation to just turn on the TV and avoid the bedroom altogether. But his exhaustion got the better of him, and he scruffled down the hall. She was in bed facing away from him, with her bare arm clutching the sheets tightly when he finished stripping down. He clicked off the lamp, plunging the room into darkness and climbed in, waiting for his eyes to adjust so he could see her again. After several minutes of silence, he whispered, Are you asleep? No, she whispered back. Do you want to talk about it? She rolled her back with an audible sigh. We have talked about it, more times than I can count and I feel like I don't know what else to say to make you understand that this just isn't a job to me. I know that, but God, Dana, you're gone more than you're home, and when you're here, I feel like I have to compete for your attention. Last week, I think we slept in the same bed together two nights. Is that what this is about, she asked, her tone sharp. The fact that I turned you down last night? It's not about the sex, he said, although now that you mention it, it might be nice once in a blue moon. You knew when I went into field work that there would be a significant amount of travel, Ethan. We talked about it. He struggled to keep his voice low. And you said it would be temporary. You said. I said nothing of the kind, she interrupted. I said I had no idea how permanent it would be. It's not a standard assignment. Obviously, he grumbled. What's that supposed to mean, she snapped. He flipped the covers off, feeling too warm. She refused to run the air conditioner at night, and that pissed him off too. It means what it means. Exactly what the hell is it that you do? People ask me and I have no fucking idea what to tell them. Stalking Bigfoot? Chasing ghosts? Scouting out UFOs? Are you doing alien autopsies now too? She launched herself into a seated position, her back against the headboard, and he didn't have to see her eyes to know exactly how she was looking at him. Oh. Forgive me, she hissed. Forgive me for having a job that's an embarrassment to you. Go ahead and lie if your image is that important to you. I'm not embarrassed. It's just... He couldn't even think straight anymore. He was so sick and tired of arguing. And the truth was, maybe he was a little embarrassed. She huffed and tipped her head back, blinking up into the darkness to keep her eyes from overflowing. The sheet was low on her waist and the thin strap of her nightie had slipped down her arm. Despite his anger or perhaps because of it, he was even more aroused than usual by the swell of her breasts beneath the silk. He punched his fist into the thick feather pillow in frustration and then shoved it under his arm and got out of bed. I'll be on the couch. Their plane lands at half past eight, ten minutes ahead of schedule. She's asleep with her head cushioned on her folded blazer, nestled against the hard-molded plastic of the window. A half hour ago, she looked cold, so he had draped his trench coat over her. It pools around her now, covering all but her head and stocking feet. Her shoes have been kicked off onto the blue fleck carpet under her seat. He had come close to drifting off too, except that he couldn't stop watching her sleep. He wonders who it is she dreams of now. She startles awake with the first lurch of the wheels hanging the tarmac and sits up straight. When she looks at him with foggy eyes, he knows it isn't him she's expecting to see. He remains still watching her gradual awakening process with interest. She pulls her arms from beneath his coat and stretches like a baby colt. Hi, he says gingerly. Welcome to Dulles International Airport, where the local time is now 8.43 p.m. and the temperature is 58 degrees. She smiles, covering a lingering yawn with the back of her hand. God, I hardly ever sleep on planes. Her feet search the floor for her shoes. Sounds of clicking seatbelts and shuffling around them as passengers ignore the flight crew, instructions to wait until the aircraft finishes taxiing. A child cries several rows back, and he wonders if it's one of the twins he met in Seattle. He doesn't know the first thing about traveling with infants. He doesn't know the first thing about kids, period. He just always assumed he'd have good instincts when it came time. But at 36, he's beginning to wonder if he'll ever get the chance to prove that theory. She slides his coat back over to him and says thanks. He wants to press his face to it and see if it smells like her. But she's still smiling at him, and he doesn't want to scare her. Do you need a ride home? He asks auspiciously. I left my car at the airport. Thank you, she says, but my partner is supposed to be picking me up. She checks her watch. We've got some paperwork to finish on this case. Ah, the infamous Fox Mulder, he replies in a lighthearted tone. A little late on a school night, isn't it? He jokes, to be pushing papers. She flips open her phone to check miss calls. Yeah, well, it's not exactly a nine to five job. They wait while others around them prepare to disembark, clunking suitcases from overhead compartments and zipping jackets, ducking and squeezing into the small spaces. When the aisle is relatively clear, he pulls her carry on bag down for her. So, he says. She smiles warmly and goes to hug him first. It was really good to see you again, Ethan. She's soft and her silky hair tickles his chin. Her hand pats his back twice. There doesn't seem to be much else to say. The usual platitudes like, let's have lunch sometime, and I'll give you a call. Don't exactly work in this particular situation, and have a nice life is too final for him to admit to. He settles on, this was really nice, along with an honest smile, and it seems to fit. She nods and squeezes his hand affectionately. Yeah, it was. Stay safe out there, catching all those bad guys. She swings her blazer on and shifts her purse onto her shoulder. I'll do my best. They stand there, smiling at each other half a minute longer than necessary, until her eyes shift down and he realizes they're the last two people on the plane. In the airport, Ethan drags himself off to the side, makes a to-do of tucking things into his briefcase and busying himself with his phone while he sticks her out. He could have been blatantly staring for all that mattered. She's no longer concerned with him, her eyes scanning the throngs of heads in the crowd until she finds the one she's looking for. The object of her interest waves once in acknowledgement and then weaves towards her, his long coat flapping around him. Her face lights up like it's Fourth of July and Ethan swallows dryly. It's that moment when you realize you've been looking for something everywhere except right under your damn nose. Fox Mulder you sly devil, he mutters out loud. They stand close together, talking, people partying around them like the Red Sea. She looks up at him, arms crossed, and purses her mouth at something he says, but her eyes are smiling back, challenging him. He places a hand under her elbow, and she tucks her hair and wets her lips violently. Neither of them seems at all distracted by the bustle of activity around them. They are entirely absorbed by one another like there's some sort of magical bubble surrounding them. Ethan suddenly feels like a voyeur, like he's watching the bizarre mating ritual of some exotic species of animal. Despite minimal physical contact, their communication is strikingly intimate. One thing is painfully clear to Ethan now. He never stood a chance in hell with her on that plane. She may have been in love with him at one time, but she never looked at him like that in her universe. It's obvious that Fox Mulder hung the moon. When they finally begin to walk, his hand is braced protectively at her lower back, and he's pulling her bag behind them. They continue their conversation undated, and he bends his head down to hers frequently, his cheek brushing her forehead. She's moving her hands and arguing with him about something, and he looks both amused and impressed. In fact, he looks like he'd really prefer to just back her up against the wall and shut her up that way. Yeah, I know, pal. She used to do the same stuff on me, spouting scientific jargon like a verbal blowjob. She never did give any ground on arguments. It's one of the things he loved most about her. The day isn't turning out like Ethan had hoped, not by any stretch of the imagination. But he still wouldn't change it. He's glad he ran into her in a Seattle airport on a rainy Tuesday in April, even if she's hopelessly in love with someone else, someone tall and intense and complicated and spooky. Maybe relationships like life are supposed to move linearly. Maybe there are really no second chances. Oscar Wilde once said, No man is rich enough to buy back his past. Nothing lasts forever, and that's probably a good thing. Hopefully he's a better person today than he was seven years ago. And so is she. Still, he'll never forget what she felt like the first time he kissed her. Outside her apartment in the pouring rain. On the weekend, he took her to his uncle's cabin. And they watch the sun rise each morning over the Adirondacks, naked and wrapped in blankets. These are the things that he will recall from time to time, fossilized memories, snapshots of life's perfect moments. He loses sight of them in the flow of the crowd, their forms merging together, black jackets like floating phantoms. Ethan beers left and makes his way towards ground transportation, disappearing into the night.